Do you want to talk about how you're feeling right now? Oh, so many questions. What does this mean? What do I do? <laughs> Go on! Tell them what you think! I liked it. I think your calculations may have been off. I think it's all right. I just have a lot of feelings. This pleases me. These are perfectly normal feelings. Do you even know what you sound like when you talk like that? Now, shall we begin? Dr. McDrew, would you be so good as to tell me the status of your current taste in movies? Aside from a touch of candy corn, I'd say I'm pretty good. <laughs> you have a singular wit, Doctor. For 27 years, I have been the podcast's chief sound surgeon aboard the USS Enterprise, and in three months I stand down. Ah, you know, I believe that you consumed a rather generous amount of shower water in the officer's mess on the night in question. Am I right, Doctor? Objection! Sustained! We all did. All of us. That doesn't mean- Was the End of the World episode an appropriately chosen movie when you first listened to it? Barely. Now, now, be careful, Doctor. Have you ever, in your past, saved the sound quality of an episode as barely appropriate as he? I didn't have the editing knowledge I needed for Jack's questionable movie choices. I see. You were there. I, I tried to steer Jack to the top of the Google results for the end of the world movies. You say you are due for retirement. May I ask, did your internet lag during the recording session? Objection! I had two windows open on my laptop streaming Paul Blart Mall Cop and its sequel Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. It's, it's like a warm blanket of Kevin James. No, you were incompetent. You were incompetent, whether deliberately or as a result of bad movie taste combined with shower water. The court will have to determine. My God, man. I tried to save him. I tried to save him. I was desperate to save him. He was the last best hope in the universe for our first Fellowship of the Fields episode that wasn't Tremors or a Patreon pick. The witness is excused. There we have it, citizens. We have finally established the particulars of the crime, and now we come to the architect of this tragic affair, Nathan Tiberius Kirk. What would your favorite movie say, Captain? Maybe you should try reading books instead of burning in them? Tell us your sad story, Nathan. Tell us that you planned to take revenge on Jack for making you read subtitles in Yojimbo. That's not true. Objection! Captain Nathan has not been identified as the assassin. Sustained. I offer into the record this excerpt for the captain's personal log. I have never trusted Jack's movie choices, and I never will. I've never been able to forgive him for Harmonica's constant wailing once upon a time in the West, or for all the filthy skeleton and high spirit. Are those your words? Those words were spoken by me. Objection! 
My client's theatrical views are not on trial. On the contrary, Captain Nathan's views and motives are indeed at the very heart of the matter. This podcast host record shows him to be an insubordinate, unprincipled, career-minded opportunist with a history of picking the low-hanging fruit for his own genre choices. Continue. Indeed, the record shows that Captain Nathan once held the rank of Admiral, and that Admiral Nathan was broken for taking matters into his own hands in defiance of regulations and the law. In season three alone, the list of movies that Captain Nathan outrageously cherry-picked, The Untouchables, Last of the Mohicans, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Hunt for the Red October, The Matrix. Where are you reviewing then, or were you showboating? Do you deny your demand for these charges, Nathan? Don't wait for the translation! Answer me now! I cannot deny it. You were demoted. Yes. For cherry-picking movie choices. On occasion, I have taken the low hand. <laughs> and were you obeying or disobeying orders when you arranged the assassination of Chancellor Host Jack's movie choices? I didn't know about the assassination until we were aboard the ship. You still deny disliking your Jimbo? Well. Your Honor, please. And you still deny disliking Monty Python's The Meaning of Life when you would have chosen instead the more approachable quest for the Holy Grail? Objection. I cannot confirm or deny this. Captain Nathan, are you aware that as captain of a podcast ship, you are required to be responsible for the actions of your men? I am. And if it should be proved that members of your crew did in fact carry out such an assassination? Nathan, they're setting us up. Your honors. Do not answer. Captain Kirk, you will answer the question. As captain, I am responsible for the conduct of the crew under my command. Your honors, the state rests. It is the determination of this court that the prisoners are charged as guilty. I wish to note for the record that the evidence against my clients is entirely circumstantial. I beg the court to consider this when pronouncing its sentence. So noted, Captain Nathan T. Kirk. Dr. Leonard McCoy, in the interests of fostering amnity for the forthcoming podcast season, the sentence of death is commuted. It is the judgment of this court that without the possibility of reprieve or parole, you will be taken from this place to the dilithium mines on the penal asteroid of Aurora Pente. There to spend the entirety of the End of the World episode discussing the greatest Star Trek movie of all time, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Did you did you go, did you just start going into uh, the one chick from Monsters Inc? Always watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, shit, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the Real Feels podcast, where we bring you a different movie of a different genre, fortnightly, as brought to you by the very bells of the Bilbo Grab Baggins. Fortnightly. <laughs> And uh, today we're doing a, a bit of an unconventional pick. Uh, it is the end of the world episode, uh, but we are going to do 1991's Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Mm. Roll that beautiful bean footage. The Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it. To offer Klingons a safe haven within Federation space is suicide. They're animals, Jim. They are dying. 
And you, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another. Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defy that we haven't fired. According to our data banks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace. They're coming about. Battle stations. Fights not to win battles. Incoming. Signal our surrender. Captain? We surrender. But to end them forever. We would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war. There will never be a better time. This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. We stand ready to assist you. This is fun. You do prefer it this way, as it was meant to be. Warrior to warrior. She cannot take much more of this. Cry havoc! Kill! And let's slip the dogs of war. Fire! Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So, Nathan, were you were you familiar with this episode? Yeah, yeah. no, I was. And this was probably... Ooh, so, I mean, okay, first of all, I want... You guys are the Star Trekians. So, do you guys have a ranking of where you have this in your, like, Trek hierarchy, as you will? I, I do. <laughs> I, I've thought long and I'm hard about it. Guys, um, I mean, mine would be, like... Five, five movies. Okay. Well, Drew, you want to hit it first uh, because mine's going to be a little bit lengthier. Okay. So, I mean, and and this is actually kind of something that Jack and I were actually just discussing before you popped in. I've been asked multiple times uh, by one of our uh, one of our friends and uh, fellow supporters on Patreon, uh, Sean from What Does It Matter? He usually always asks me like. Somehow we always get into a discussion about Star Trek and he always asks like, "What's your favorite Star Trek movie?" And it's it's incredibly hard for me to like place a favorite Star Trek movie out of like the actual original films. If I'm going to put something more towards the top, it's more than likely going to be Wrath of Khan. Okay. I think that Undiscovered Country might be a very, very close second. Okay. However, as I did mention to Jack, not that it's even in the top five for me, but uh, Star Trek Generations, beautiful soundtrack. Uh, So for me, this was my introduction into Star Trek. This came out on December 6th, 1991. That would have made me uh, nine years old. This was the first Christmas season uh, after the passing of my father. And we gathered the family uh, in in, uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, at my grandparents' house uh, in Kettering. All the aunts and uncles, all the cousins came in. And my... uh, my the the powers that be determined that my cousin uh, Ben and I were going to get dropped off at the theater and we were going to see Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. Uh, neither of us had ever seen Star Trek. It was more of a move, I think, to get the kids out of the house for a few hours. 
get them occupied. And this was, you know, suburban Ohio where you could easily drop off an eight and a nine year old at the theater uh, with money. They'd buy their tickets, they'd get their snacks, and we watched Star Trek Six The Undiscovered Country. I'd never seen an episode of Star Trek or any of the other movies. And I just remember being enthralled. And this was something else. It was something different. Uh, So after seeing this movie, that's when I started watching TNG on uh, The Next Generation on TV. Uh, I started watching um, Deep Space Nine when it came out. So in the pantheon of Star Trek movies, for a number of reasons, I have the most feels for this one. Wrath of Khan is a great movie, but So Star Trek 1, Star Trek the motion picture, while it was financially successful, it was way over budget and not really well received. Uh, It was kind of an oddball. Uh, So they brought in Nicholas Meyer, the director, to sort of save the franchise. And he did the very low budget, but critically acclaimed, Wrath of Khan. Uh, And I think we'd all agree that it's a a great movie. Uh, So then we move into... Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. Not too bad. Not too bad. It's got uh, the sort of the wonky, (laughs) is it Professor, uh, uh, what's his name? The Klingon from that. Uh, It's the Professor from Back to the Future. Uh, uh, Like Doc Brown. It's... um Christopher, yeah. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd yeah. plays a Klingon that. He plays kind of a wackadoo Klingon. I mean, even Khan is, he's a great villain, but Khan is very different from Christopher Plummer's General Chang. Mm. Khan is sort of, he's super intelligent, super strong, but he's kind of a batshit crazy. And then we get Star Trek IV, the, uh, the journey home, which that one is too on the nose for me as far as like the Save the Whales movement. And it that was even more low budget, I think, than but it Star did, Trek. But it did well, though. I mean, it's kind it of did in- well. And a lot of people right. like that movie. What's interesting enough, if you look at the reception rate for the films themselves, since there are six, two, four, six did very well. One, three and five. Not so much. Yeah. And then uh, five, which was uh, Shatner's baby Mm -hmm. was a a steaming hot flaming garbage dumpster (laughs) it's my least favorite out of all of the the star trek uh movies it was too heavy too overdone and and it got like it it was too religious uh for a lot of people and it just didn't gel so they need they want to do another movie they were thinking about doing uh, Star Trek The Academy and doing sort of like a reboot with with younger actors younger. or even the children of the main actors, but that wasn't well received by the cast and the, the, the producers. Uh, so Leonard Nimoy came up with this Cold War analogy uh, and they brought back... Nicholas Meyer, who did Wrath of Khan, the same director, and did Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, and I think they did a pretty darn good job. Uh, it's it's It feels like the most complete movie to me out of the, the TNG series, or the, the original series uh, movies. But does this feel like an, a, a prolonged episode mm. but that's the that's the part that i like okay no no that's 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 a very honest and, answer to a very simple question it it <laughs> hits it hits a lot of the the benchmarks it's got the creature of the week with the camaloid uh it's got the planet of the week with Rurapente, a place we've never been to and one of the things i always loved about star trek my favorite episodes dealt with this intrigue between 
the you know the the Klingons or the Romulans and the Federation, and then it's got a whodunit aspect to it. Yeah, that's the best. I think that's the best part is the whodunit. Yeah, it's- yeah. With, with the original films, I mean, with what they were trying to do with the idea of like Star Trek Academies, I mean, Ethan Hawke was actually being speculated for a young Kirk, but again completely done away with however jj abrams kind of went back and he did that for the newer that's Star what Trek they films. did for the the reboot right yeah. for the reboot which i think it's I, I think it works out well actually walter koenig who plays Chekhov, had originally written a script and he was ready and he had presented it for star trek 6 however the script itself called for everybody in the original crew dying and that <laughs> uh, and paramount's like no no what are you doing no no, 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 no. This is not happening. You're not. No. <laughs> in, in generations, they technically do. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You're not but, wrong. <laughs> but it's the last original series right. movie. Uh, in generations, doesn't really count. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of a little bit of a crossover, yeah. a meeting in the middle. But I think they slapped a bow on that generation as well as they they could have with Undiscovered Country. Mm. Yeah. And it clicks a lot of boxes for me because if I didn't have to worry about money, I'd either write fiction or I'd teach history. And I love the Cold War allegory because at the very beginning, we've got Sulu and the Excelsior and the destruction of Praxis. Well, that's Chernobyl. And then everything that comes after that. It is sort of, you know, the the Klingon Empire has only got a few years left. It's the fall of the Soviet Union, the end of the Cold War, as it is. And it's got those little moments where Chang, during the the dinner with the officers, he's like, we just need breathing room. And, And Kirk's like, to be or not to be. That is the question which preoccupies our people, Captain Kirk. We need breathing room. Earth, Hitler, 1938. I beg your pardon. Well, I see we have a long way to go. <laughs> Which I, 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 I beg your pardon, be, because Chang knows like human lore of you know. So He's speak, studied his enemies. He has, you know. He yeah. Uh, uh, the red man is a fearsome enemy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, like he's he, no, he's Nathan Olgren. Like you know, he he knows Alugren. Yeah, <laughs> but, So that's why I I kind of thought that he would be more taken aback by being referenced to one of Earth's you know most well, villains. I of think all time. I think that Chang is more so probably researching great warriors okay i don't know if he's looking at hitler as a great warrior and i think that would probably also be looked at as very much you know obviously as it is like a darker part of earth's history yeah he may not have known that little tidbit of uh he may not have known that little tidbit of history but he does he does know the the shakespeare Uh, do you think that hitler like okay you're an alien race and you're looking at, like, the history of human civilization, are you looking at people like Hitler or Stalin or Genghis Khan? If if you're looking at the history of the race... mm. That could be, could be. But I I agree with Drew. I don't think anyone agree that Hitler was a a true warrior. Because he's just, he was the leader? He was the political leader? He was a fanatic. 
Yeah, well, but I mean, some yeah. great warrior was William Wallace a fanatic? Kind of. Like, I just want freedom. William Wallace <laughs> is a hundred feet tall and shoots lightning balls out of his arse. Fifty men. I think Chang is more going to be looking at the great, you know, battle uh, strategists, right? And and the great conquerors. I don't know if he's going to see like Alexander the Great, or if he's going to look at you know different uh, naval battle plans because How a lot. Memphis Custa. <laughs> well, because. I'm, but no, he, no, he is, is looking he at the is. culture. I mean, too. I, I do love the fact that they reference the fact that you know uh, he's like, oh, Hamlet. You know, Act Three, Scene One. He's like, mm, you haven't heard Hamlet unless you've heard it in its original Klingon. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I do love the fact that Klingon that that Shakespeare is being referenced as Klingon, and that's where Shakespeare is coming from. I that makes me happy. And and folks. Listeners out there, I had chosen this movie uh, long before Christopher Plummer's uh, sort of tragic, well, not tragic, but unfortunate. He he was old. He was 91. But, you know, it it happened about a week before we had set to record this. But I think that out of the the villains uh, in the original series movies, you know, Khan has his place, but then Chang is a completely different sort of villain he's a little bit more cultured he seems like he's the Klingon mm, version he, of he Kirk. likes to toy and and he's very charismatic about it which makes him a very very likable villain but he's way more on the war yeah. like he is all about like bloodshed or like you know the the hunt as opposed to Kirk who's not necessarily a uh, like military like gung-ho kind of person well, because in space, all warriors are cult warriors. Yeah, but it, it he Chang doesn't do things irrationally like Khan right. does. He doesn't let his emotions really get in the way. And and I think it's illustrated when after Gorkin has died and the scene where they're going through, like you know, he enrolls the Curla Colonel Curla enrolls the battle plans in front of the new High Chancellor, the daughter of Chancellor Gork, and and she's like, oh, you know, my my father, you know, the it was his ideals, and he's like in the corner, he's like, your father died for those ideals. So I I think he's more rational, and I just love that Christopher Plummer, a Shakespearean-trained actor, they managed to rope him in to do a Star Trek movie where he's just randomly spouting off these, these, like, have you heard the chimes at midnight, Captain? (laughs) Like, I I love Mm -hmm. his character so much, and there's, like, a a lot of detail to that. Like, he didn't want the full tortoiseshell Klingon head. He wanted his makeup to be more minimal. And then with his eye patch, if you look closely, each of the three rivets on the eye patch has the Klingon, yeah. the triple bladed sigil engraved on the outside. I love when you it. think about like the eye patch, like it, it's supposed to be like each one is drilled into his skull, so it stays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know exactly, and I like his nonchalance. Like he's not like yelling like fire. He's just reclined in his captain's chair, just like <laughs> giving them like the you know like. Yeah, g- give them another yeah, volume. Have <laughs> I just love like the spinning around in the chair. Cry havoc and let loose the dogs of war. 
but I also think that this movie best has some of the best too. chemistry between mm. the cast. Christian Slater! Best yeah, cameos yeah. too. Even Christian Slater even popped in there for a moment. <laughs> Apparently, he framed like the $750 that he got paid for that walk-on roll on his wall. I love that he just stands in the doorway for one scene. I'm like, wait a minute. Sulu? And then then I also kind of was like, wait, Sulu? Is this uh, this your... uh, No? No. (laughs) Stop it. You got a a hearing problem, young man? (laughs) You get over here. But uh, there's, there's, and and it's also got the most humor, I think, out of out of all the movies. <laughs> like there are ge- just these great moments, and there's a controversial one because you know uh, Lieutenant Ohura or Commander Ohura should be fluent in one Klingon languages, <laughs> and and Nicholas Myers, the director, pushed for this. But honestly, it's one of the one of the funniest parts of the the movie where they're infiltrating Klingon space, and the listening outpost is challenging. Nuta gross. Green, <laughs> and they've got all the books out. They're trying to come up with it, and I just love the the ending when the Klingons are yeah. laughing, like you <laughs> she, know, all right, don't catch any bugs, and they're like, what, what, what do we say now? And there's the one officer, in the background, like with her hands, uh, like uh, laughing, uh, uh, oh, 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 and then she. <laughs> When she flips off the intercom and just the look of just disdain but on why, her why face, do do I laugh why every that, time. That was not, like that's like C three PO just going. Like, okay, so is she fought against that? She, did. she fought against that, but this was the director's he, choice. He wanted that little moment. To, yeah, go oh, ahead. No, I was going to say like he very bluntly like cut her shut shut her down on that. She said like there should be no reason why Ohura would not be very fluent in Klingon. There's absolutely zero reason why she should be pulling out old translation books, despite the fact that Chekhov is like, we can't use the universal translator, like it'll be identified. And it's it's very much like retconned because in J.J. Abrams, you know, films, when they actually go get Ohura and make her part of the cast. And, and I think that was done as a, uh, as a probably, wink and a nod yeah, to because uh, she, Michelle Nichols. Right, she knows Klingon. That's exactly why they're picking her up. But I mean, a few things, and especially like when they're about to have the dinner scene, you have Chekhov uh, doing the line from like, guess who's coming to dinner, which is a kind of callback to the, the Sidney Poitier film, which the line was originally given to Nichelle Nichols. And she's like, no, I'm not saying that. No. Why you have the only like the one black actress on the scene, like trying to do the line <laughs> for the Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. film? No. Chekhov, you can have it. <laughs> Chekhov, are we uh, reading a uh, neutron radiation surge? Only the size of my head. <laughs> I love I love the line when um, it's more towards the end, but when you have Kirk and Spock together and he's all like, Spock, everyone's human. And he, Spock's just like, stop <laughs> that scene. He's just like staring at him. He's all like, I find that insulting, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> like, definitely. <laughs> A white person telling a black person, like, oh, you know, everyone's a little white. Like, whoa, 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 what? Well, I don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think he's trying to say that everyone's a little white. I think he's saying that because from the, from the human connection and the human understanding of, like, what it is to be human, what it is to have decency and common sense. It's kind of like how Picard was saying that, like, Data is the most human person that I know. Right. It's their understanding of saying, like, you are an individual, like everyone. Spock, <laughs> let me let you in on something. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's human. 
I find <laughs> I find that insulting, Captain. <laughs> and he even and, right, and he even brings that up again. He's all like Spock was the most human person. It's not like meant as an insult, but for Spock as a you know half Vulcan, he'd probably sit there and go, "The fuck did you just say?" No, <laughs> illogical. So anytime I ever have to watch Sex in the City, I <laughs> I well no no this has a point, Drew. Hold on, Brooke, what are I, you doing to him? <laughs> no, honestly, Brooke doesn't really watch it. But anytime I ever watch what? an episode, I look at Kim. Kim it's a non sequitur. I look at Kim Cattrall and it's a goddamn cook. Go, you were in Star Trek. What are you trying to? What are you trying to be, Kim Cattrall? You were in Star Trek. Like, you're no better than, you know, because in that show, she's just this badass bitch, you know, and I don't know. I, I liked I like her I liked her role yeah. as uh as the Vulcan. Big trouble uh, with China. You know. Like, come on, know your roots, bitch. Know your roots. What? <laughs> <laughs> know your roots. I think I like it more that she played one of the conspirators. Mm-hmm. Loved it. I like if she hadn't been, I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. But I'm like, okay, I knew this bitch had something. Well, I going mean, on. who who better to like you know keep composure and to not lay lead anything on than a Vulcan who's going to obviously play it straight. And the interplay between her and Spock, where they had the back and forth, where she would keep on asking like a lie, and a mission, and a mission, an That's error, right. <laughs> a lie, an error, yeah. and then when he asks her. When she's been found out, a lie, a choice. Yeah, I. It's it's very, oh, it's very tongue in cheek. It's very to the point, and it's it's fun just to watch that. Even watching the different in the ambassadors represented in the president's chamber when they're all like, Gorkhan has been killed. Like he was coming to meet you. On our banner of truce. Oh, I love the actor who plays uh, the ambassador because he had the same role in Star Trek Five, I think. And the actor himself, I recognize because he's in an episode of Golden Girls, and then he eventually plays the uh, police com- uh, commissioner in SVU. So he's a very, well, I mean, recognizable. And you can tell actor. he's classically trained because while he's delivering his diatribe to the president, he's sort of doing that like stage saunter. Yeah. Like, I, I can't walk very far, so I'm just going to kind of saunter forward. And then, of course, the president of the Federation is played by Red Foreman, yep. Kurtwood Smith, <laughs> which uh, I love it, especially when he puts on, like, his little... His sunglasses? His little glasses. <laughs> this president is not above the law. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I don't know if exactly if, he, like, that species has, like, light sensitivity. I know that he's an Afrosian, but I, I'm not I'm not familiar enough with, you know... If, if that's something that is about their, uh, you know, I don't know, makeup, their, their genetic yeah. makeup. And then I feel like um, Leonard Nimoy, like he, he's got great moments, but a lot of his acting comes through physically. Like, you know, but Jim, they're dying. Let them die. Oh. And the look he gives Kirk, uh, same with you personally vouched. And then uh, when... Chang is is sort of needling at Kirk about, uh, you know, so how would you feel about giving up the Federation, Captain? And Leonard Nimoy sort of chimes in and um, and gives a a (laughs) diplomatic answer. And Kirk's like, far be it for me to dispute my first officer. The look he gives just to (laughs) Kirk, like, what what, what, did you say? I'm sorry. I'm so, well, did you did you want to answer that question yourself? Because it seems like you're about to step in a big pile of shit. I, Kirk, uh, Kirk, um, Shatner had actually gone on record to say that he was not 
just him personally was not a fan of Shatner of uh, Kirk's uh, racism towards the Klingons themselves. But I think that uh, the Verat, but it was written. It was so I mean, good. it's got it's so good. For it goes it. back to to right. It does. It does. And like the veracity, just like you said, like in that one line, it's like they're dying, Jim. Let them die. Oh my gosh. I, I, I just love the oomph behind that moment. I love it. I also want, I also want to know, like, when they're having this one-on-one conversation, this solo conversation that's meant to be private, if you look in the background, there's clearly an officer just, like, sitting in a chair. Like, I don't know if he's supposed to be observing the room and waiting for them so he can close and, you know, clean things up, but I'm thinking, that's very distracting. <laughs> you're in the background and you're distracting. <laughs> so, we have Worf as their attorney. Well, you, well it's Worf's grandfather. Oh. Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not Lieutenant Worf. It's, it's the same yeah. actor the same that was in TNG, it's Michael Dorn. It's, it's his ancestor. It's named Worf? This is some bullshit, man. I had so many questions. It's the House of like, Mog. <laughs> no, no, it, it brings about, so Worf has been in every Star Trek iteration, except for Discovery at right. this point. And that rule allowed him to be in the original series, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, uh, I think he even was in Enterprise, not as Worf, but as like somebody else. Oh, that Michael Dorn just so, was a character. Yeah, because even on DS9 before uh, Worf came and was a, was actually an actual character, he was a uh, he was a, a famous baseball player in DS9. And he's the only one that has been in all of the series in some way, shape, or form, either as Worf or somebody else or an ancestor of himself. There was rumored that there was going to be uh, a captain a Captain Worf series. I wanted I wanted him so one I don't know how long Klingons live I thought I was like oh Klingons must live like a long fucking time because if this is war then he's he obviously go yeah he obviously is like dude I need to be a part only of the, the cowardly Klingons live a long time so, okay well yeah I mean because he hasn't died in battle but he's tried he's tried so hard prepare for ramming speed <laughs> Klingons I, I was like. Klingons can live to be about 100. Okay. Well, so, yeah. But I mean, that's also if they haven't, you know, obviously died in a valiant way and gained honor for their house and gone off to Stovacor. Stovacor. Kapla! Klingons are, the, Klingons are the Vikings slash samurai of, you know, the Star Trek universe. Hobgoblin. And I, I, I did, I feel like that's missing from this movie is the Klingon death cry. Thank you. When yeah. Gorkin when, when Gorkin, Gorkin died, dies, I was expecting because there was that moment where she paused and she turned and I'm like, all right, we're going to get that moment. It's going to stall, head up, cry. And no. So that was that was a huge change that I I agree. I think was horribly horribly missed. And and I don't know if they'd even written that into like canon, canon until TNG. Uh, until TNG, because they were kind of going on concurrently because they used lots of sets from the next generation. The dining hall was repurposed from, from TNG, yeah. I mean, David Warner deserves a, a thing on Warcraft. That guy, a great actor. Tron, yeah, Titanic. I mean, that's a- Don't let it end <laughs> this way, this way Captain. Captain. Oh. <laughs> I love that scene. I like he's got into some sort of goddamn arrest. <laughs> I don't know their anatomy, Jim. Which, at the same time, I mean, if a deer was dying in front of you, and you obviously, or you know, a cow, do you just like get on top of it and start? Man, I feel it, like live. McCoy probably should have known. 
like Klingon anatomy. He's about to retire. Like it's he, another sort of a horror moment. I think this is why I have a lot of questions about like uh, these are like level you know twelve character you know D and D characters yeah. going. Fuck! I've never heard of Goblin before. <laughs> we, like, but wait, this this what? goes back to uh, Nicholas Meyer, the director, who was sort of the J.J. Abrams, as in like uh, I'm not a fan, but I think I can do it justice. So he did what he thought was best for the story, not necessarily what was best for the character's history which works out sometimes and sometimes it doesn't like with that scene with mccoy and like that scene with uh right and and even when they kind of but they're still great scenes they are and even when they board even when the assassins board the klingon uh sorry chronos one which is a beautiful ship it's a katinga class one of the most powerful ships in the klingon fleet oh oh, you just made my dick hard (laughs) when they when they board and they start shooting the klingons you have violet kind of hueish blood all right and i don't have a problem with the i don't have a problem with it you know being cgi and floating around in low gravity i thought that was really neat i thought that was fun for 1991 and that was sort of a close to a first that what yeah and it was so you now have continuity error where klingon blood is obviously not a violet hue it's been shown to be you know normal looking blood but there's a reason there's a reason for it because they wanted to keep it away from an r rating and they wanted to keep their pg rating so wait so the blood was supposed to be red red. it's supposed to it's supposed to look like actual blood but they made it a violet hue so if they changed the coloring of the blood they were able to keep a lesser uh you know uh rating and not get r and they wanted to keep it darker like black or purple like well it's 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 the same thing that they did with the patriots uh uh like network premiere like the scene where he goes after the 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 soldiers that murdered his son and he like he's covered in blood on like if it was on tbs or tnt or something they darkened the blood and made it look brown so it could possibly be that he's just covered in mud And they did the same thing with Klingon blood, where to escape the censors, rather than making it blood, they made it purple because it's Klingon blood. And that apparently the murder of alien species is is not offensive to the censors because they're different than us. One man did this to you. <laughs> yes, maybe. He was a ghost. He was there and then he was a ghost. <laughs> Daddy, don't go. I'll say anything you want. Stupid boy. <laughs> But that's also a great scene uh, after Gorkin dies. And I love the the line from uh, Christopher Plummer where he's sort of throwing it in the face of of Kirk and McCoy. Like, by Article 138 of your interstellar law, I'm arresting you for the assassination of our Chancellor of the High Council. I mean, it's, it's like they think that they... I mean, I love how he's so dead to his side of, you know, the conspiracy and, and the sabotage and the subterfuge of everything where he's all like, oh yeah, no, we're, uh, we're making Kirk and McCoy the patsies here. Because clearly, they came over here, assassinated, went back to the ship, got out of the suits, put away the gravity boots, and then decided to come back to help <laughs> but they they do leave some breadcrumbs for the audience because when the gravity when they're getting when the torpedoes hit yeah. one and two uh and they you know while when they start floating up in in uh, uh no gravity even gorkin's like where's where's chang yeah 
And well, where is Chang? Chang. You don't see Chang again until they right the ship, and then he does this whole like for this. I shall blow you out of the stars. Yeah, uh, the the floating blood following the uh, the magnet boots. I thought they were. I thought that was just fun. And you you watch it as an audience, so you have this dramatic irony that's all built in. You're like, oh oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be on the boots when he lands back into the transporter. And I'm I'm often wondering like, did they transport to the the bird of prey and then from the bird of prey into Enterprise? Or did they just, or were they just totally making certain that no one was in the transport room? Or they they transported to a little used transporter, like in like uh like one of the storage oh, or the freight. Yeah, could have been areas. true. Uh, because Chekhov does find the drop of blood yeah. on a transporter pad, and it doesn't look like it's like the you know transporter room one. But that 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 scene where the uh, Starfleet officers or crew members, uh, transport over to Kronos 1 and go about laying waste to the ship is kind of sinister. Like, they've got the white suits on with the, the sun-reflective visors. Like, they're, it's almost like they're and robots they're in sy- just they're in walking sync. around. And they're walking in yeah. sync because of the mag boots just laying waste. And, you know, it does have some cool little scenes where, like, they blow off the one guy's arm and then he's <laughs> he's a witness in the trial later on. I was I was incapacitated. <laughs> And in the trial, I I love it. Uh, I think it's Christopher Plummer's best best scene as acting as the prosecutor, and that's why I chose it as our intro. It's a good scene. Because yeah. it, it, as soon as as soon as I I I chose this movie, I was like, I got to do something with the courtroom scene, and it's going to be fucking balls. I told Jack earlier, Nathan, that like I thought that the the judge with his like metallic like vulture claw gravel hand, I was like, I swear for the longest time, I thought that that was his actual hand. Like, he lost it, he became a judge, and he permanently has gavel hand. <laughs> so, one line that Semi took me out of this, and I, I get it, they were like working with William Shatner's ego and like making it funny uh when he's like you know i can't believe i kissed you must have been your lifelong ambition that it's, was hilarious yeah, it's funny i think that's <laughs> i think that's such a tongue-in-cheek and just on the nose for him has no fucking clue that shatner loves himself you know what i mean like so oh, i don't i don't think it's about shatner <laughs> i think anybody spending five minutes with william shatner would think he loves himself i don't think it's even about shatner i think it's more a thing i think it's more to a thing about kirk Acknowledging the fact that Kirk loves Kirk. Kirk loves talking about Kirk. Kirk is a well-known okay. individual in the galaxy. It just seemed like, like it's, wait it's a minute. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. She <laughs> yeah. don't even know who he is. Although, but I mean, she she gets to know him pretty well. Oh, but she. <laughs> I, I I mean, when she sneaks in, you know, to over to his bedside and, you know, explains like, go to level seven in the morning. I'll be there. I think you're you're the and one who can help me escape. And then she just lays a kiss on him. McCoy's face of like, oh, my God. Again, we're, we're talking again? about Marta what is played with by you? David Bowie's <laughs> wife, Iman, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, she played the Camaloid, the shape shifting species. Now, Drew, maybe you can suss this out for me. She's. Her race is unrelated to Odo's, right? Oh, no, no, no. Odo's is completely unique unto itself. That's that's what I thought. Right. That's what no, I no, thought. No. I, I thought they were called something different. No, they, um... But... Uh, I for, I for, uh, oh, Odo's race is called a changeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, with the humor, like, Spock is like, by now, Captain Kirk is, is planning his escape, and it cuts back to Rorapente, and that's when he's fighting the huge fluorescent alien that has balls on his knees, apparently. And I love the one moment where 
Kirk is getting his ass kicked, and McCoy's in the background getting held back, going, "Come on, Jim, you got him right where you want him." <laughs> Jack Palance was actually up for the role of Chang, but he, but the filming that could have been interesting. Right, the filming for it though actually would have uh, conflicted with filming City Slickers, which would have lost Jack Palance his Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor as Curly. So it was worth it. It was worth it. There is no, no tower, no guard. No electronic frontier. If you, if you work poorly or badly, you will go to the surface. I love that the dude that they throw to the ground, he dies in a matter of minutes from just, from not being, you know, obviously covered up or anything. And then they find another one. They find another person along the way to their secret, like, you know, escape, escape route. And you got to think, how many times has this, you know, Cameloid tried to help people get out and also like left them there to die? But I think illustrated by the escape scene was also showcasing a lot of the music because the, the score for this movie has a very militant aspect, but it also has a lot of melancholy mm-hmm. in it, which I think is appropriate for sort of the end of the the franchise and if anyone's sitting here wondering jack why did you pick star trek 6 the undiscovered country for the end of the world well there is the reason that i touched on because it 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 is the end of the klingon homeworld if they don't come to peace possibly but it is the end of the world for the Star Trek original series. Uh, that was the last movie they were all together for. They're all alive for. Mm-hmm. And most of them went on to do, you know, James Doohan, DeForest Kelly, uh, Leonard Nimoy. They all went on to do cameos in TNG, but it's just not the same. And and that's, that's where the end of the world came from for me. Plus, I hate Armageddon and disaster movies. <laughs> uh, and there was no way in hell I was picking, like, you know, Deep Impact or or some shit like that. Like, <laughs> well, if you guys if you guys had been... Or Armageddon... But Armageddon... Oh, my God. That's so much cheese. Oh, that's so much cheese. He could have picked... He could have picked... Uh, what is it? Uh, 2012. Oh, God. <laughs> I wouldn't know. But I I don't enjoy those movies. Though Armageddon is a little bit different, but I don't know if I don't know if Armageddon is something I would pick for a podcast. It, it could be, folks. We've got we've got hundreds of, of uh, I've never done this. Well. <laughs> I've never done I think kind of playing off of the end of the world thing with everything that you said, Jack, it also plays into the point of that it is it's it's an allegory for you know, the Cold War, because if the Cold War went wrong, it was going to mean end of the world type of situations, because like, what else is the Cold War aside from one side saying, hey, we have some bombs, we're going to blow you up. Well, we have bombs, we're going to blow you up. No. And that's really all it is. No, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, and if the Klingons had been successful, maybe that prototype of the ship that could fire. Oh, I love that. While cloaked, maybe there would be fleets of ships like that, and it could truly be the end of the, the Federation. But I didn't understand like the end game with that whole part of it. So you have this like little conspiracy of like Romulan, Klingon, Vulcan, and human like going yeah well, we need to like the federation well, because uh the uh lauren or not lauren but call kim control's character wasn't human well, she's, but vulcan. still go ahead no, she's but, vulcan go no, ahead. But, um bradbury uh bradbury the cartwright cart cartwright the uh the admiral who conspired with them yes yeah so the one who said that the klingons like, were gonna be the, the trash of the galaxy 
alien trash of the galaxy. So they're wanting this war between them, correct? Like no, they're want- wanting they're wanting the Klingon. Sorry. Cartwright, Vulcan, and the humans, and even the uh, Romulan ambassador, they're conspiring for the fact that one, Gorkin needs to die. Because if Gorkin negotiates peace with the Federation of Planets, then Klingons are going to be moving out and away from uh, from Kronos, okay? They would need new places to live. And they can scapegoat live. Kirk right. at the same time because he, during this movie, has made, or at least the beginning of it, has made no uh, secret that he doesn't, doesn't like trust Klingons. and yeah. hates Klingons because they killed his son. Right. And so now, if you have if you have Klingons leaving Klingon space, it's going to be kind of n- negating the whole purpose of the neutral zone. And obviously with the neutral zone, kind of speaking for its own name, it's neutrality, like you can't wage war there, anything like that. But also the neutral zone, they're dividing lines and it's very much guarded. Okay, you have Klingon outposts, you have Federation outposts. versus West. Right. And so now if the Klingons are allowed to leave Kronos, it's actually expanding their own territory because they would still own the territory where their own, own, own like dead planet essentially is. Okay, and that's expanding into Romulan space, Vulcan space, Federation territory, and that's not, they're not going to have it at all. It's sort of like what happened with Syria and all the outpouring of refugees. That's what, that was sort of their their end game. But, But sort of duping the Klingons into thinking that they could possibly afford a military solution and still win. It's a little confusing that Vulcan... The planet of Vulcan gets destroyed in the newer one, uh, in the new Star Trek 2009. In the Kelvin timeline. Okay, yeah. So yeah. that that is canon? Not canon. Well, it's a separate, it's a separate timeline. timeline. So it is canon, yeah. but it's canon in its own right. Yeah, so in, in Star Trek, there, there are right now currently at least two separate timelines and they get into like the the sort of time police aspect so the future, of bullshit? the federation in enterprise. enterprise which i didn't yeah. enjoy as much uh, because i i hate when time travel is used as a device for some reason i'm okay no, with back, back to the future, future but remember? uh that's- you know that's what we that's what we learned in infinity war <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go there you go but but it's it, time travel is a convenient device that Very. is too convenient right uh, Un- unless it actually is unless it unless it's for the tenant oh oh but then the bullets are going backwards unless unless time travel god tenant unless time travel is an actual like purpose of the show and or film like something like doctor who okay where it is so it's so embedded it into is. the ba- no, no it's it a, well i mean <laughs> well, no, it's, it's a funny show it's like, mm, like we fucked up let's just do it again like that's the- but that's the thing that they do with like doctor who if, if they mess up something or they go somewhere and they do something it's not like they just went back in time to the specific place they went back in time and they they jutted yeah. another timeline so every single time that the doctor goes somewhere he's making alternate timelines left and right so that and itself that makes sense. Exhausting. Well, but that's that's the nuance of the doctor. I mean, that's just what that is. But I I agree for the fact that if timeline is used as not necessarily like a MacGuffin for the entirety of the movie or something, but if it if it breaks any type of like continuity for it, then yeah, it's going to be a big problem. No, no, I I completely agree with you. Guess you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. 
say it. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are gonna love it. And and and, and that's a, that's another sort of idiosyncrasy is that my favorite Star Trek movies are original series. Uh, Wrath of Khan, uh, even um, Search for Spock, and my penultimate is Undiscovered Country. Now, I know Drew likes Generations. I, I, li- I like most, the music from Generations. Uh, well, most of the TNG movies just didn't do it for me, except oh. I thought they nailed First Contact. I think First Contact is amazing. Insurrection, I'm okay with F. Murray Abraham playing the the villain of that was was all right, and you have uh, Data's demise in that I think too. You but, have Data's um, demise ne- in Nemesis. Oh yeah, oh no, you're correct. But Nemesis was a shit movie. Even I'm sorry, Tom the Hardy. I know clone. you got your druthers there, <laughs> but uh, that was a shit movie. That one. But I like as far as the television series, TNG, Deep Space Nine, Voyager more than I like the original series. So there's. It's a little yeah. bit of a toss-up. And I think original series, you kind of have to like understand it is what it is, and it was what it was for the time that it came out in the 60s, and monumentally important for what it was, in, especially in the 60s, all right? Civil rights movement coming out, and people like saying, oh, look, Star Trek, is that a black woman? Is that a black woman on the ship? Does she have a job? Are we okay with this? We're all okay with this? Did she just kiss a white guy? Did she kiss the a white guy? of the ship? Right. Was that the first interracial kiss on national television? Okay. Got, yes, it was. They've got Let's... themselves a commie running the communications. What the hell's going on? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Who's letting the Asian drive? What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> we, it, was, <laughs> it was a groundbreaking show. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, and, and that's uh, the... The credits, the beginning of the credits after Kirk does sort of his cheesy, like, second you star know, to the Peter right. Pan, second star of the right, keep on going until dawn. They announce the main cast by having them do their oh, signatures their because their signatures is what kept Star Trek going for a long time between the end of the original series and the end of the cartoon series to, like, I think 1980 or 1979. The the most Star Trek the motion picture, it was these fan cons, these mm-hmm. comic cons that kept the whole love of Star Trek afloat, and I thought that was a nice little callback. That you know some of these actors didn't do much between those things, and and showing up at these cons and selling the autographs for five or ten dollars a piece really kept them going. Oh, of course. Of course. You know that meme of uh, James Franco with the noose around his neck saying, uh, first time, huh? I feel like that's Burt Gummer when he sees the Star Trek guys. He's like, eh, first con, huh? <laughs> Dude, I can see Burt Gummer at a con signing autographs uh, or Michael Gross. And uh, he's got <laughs> he's got special he's got graboid grape and and paradise punch like he sold that on the side as well signing MREs <laughs> yeah but, but but at the end of the day uh, did you guys enjoy it because uh, yes. we usually watch these movies at least twice yeah uh, and and before we get into segments we got to talk about Sulu yes we do. The man became captain of the Excelsior, and I love them at the very end. He's like, "That's a big ship, not as big as a captain." I yeah. He finally he finally gets promoted. He has his own ship. I thought it was they give him the cold open. Yeah, they give him the cold open, which he he nails. I I thought it was great. Okay, one of the big parts that I always wondered with Star Trek is that like 
I understand that um, money is not not a thing in Star Trek culture, and you know, in this except for gold, plurp, well, gold press latinum. In, in Federation, in, in Federation, Federation, there is no need for actual like tangible money. They have credits, or sorry, they don't have credits. They they trade. They have a trade and barter system. But even in like the newer one, we learn that um, you know, obviously the academy, you know, it takes a certain amount of time to become a captain, you know, first officer, and everyone's wanting to like grow and do something different but it seems like star trek you just kind of have this stagnant like yep i became uh helm you know helmsman of the enterprise and i have a red shirt on and oops i died you know or oh i'm the logistics officer or the war you know security and that's it like you cap out and you're never going no i really am trying to work over to become captain but when you have sulu Becoming a captain, it literally game for me game changes it all. Like, oh shit! Here's the guy that literally was like, no, I'm not good with just being the driver. I want to do more and do better, and I'm ready. And he fucking nailed it. Yeah, yeah and, and the a lot of that stems from the friction that uh, uh, to George Sakai had with William Shatner. Where all right, you want to come back? Well, you want me to come back for a sixth movie, but I'm a captain at this point. Why the hell am I going to be in, do an ensign's job? Like, if I'm going to be in this movie, you write this movie as if I am a captain of my own ship. And he, it does a great job, and it 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 brings everything together. And he, Nathan, I think you you cap- texted it. Did he become captain? Yeah, he's- no, I mean, in a different movie. No, he just no, 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 progressed. No. Uh, oh, progressed yeah. I didn't progress to Captain. They bring it back in an episode of Voyager, and they okay. they recognize him in an episode where Janeway. I don't know. I think it might be a holodeck program where Janeway is talking to Sulu. Sulu is on the episode, and he he is the captain of the Excelsior. I don't know um, if I missed. The I mean, movie there's lots of he, like. No, 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 no. There's. There's lots of different moments in Star Trek history where, you know, lowly characters, you know, they eventually they start they rise up in ranks. They continue to rise up in ranks. I mean, like the Scott, blonde woman that is yes. on Sulu's ship. Right. She was she was in like the first eight or nine episodes of the original series yep. as an ensign. And then and now she's lieutenant. promoted throughout. I think she's a lieutenant in this series, in this Does movie. Does Riker mm-hmm. ever you have, become captain? Yes. In the, in the books, in he the does. In the book and... In the book, and he, um, in, I guess, I haven't watched it, but in uh, Discovery. <laughs> no, no, not Discovery, in Picard. In Picard, he does become a captain. Chekhov mm-hmm. eventually becomes an admiral. Warp I mean, becomes captain you have like lots... the littlest fucking ship. <laughs> no. Well, no. <laughs> little. Little. Worf eventually leaves, you know, uh, leaves being a, uh, a ship personnel to being, I, th- I think he's the ambassador for Klingon with the Federation. So mm. he doesn't necessarily become a captain himself. However, the, like I said earlier, like there was talk of a Michael, I think Michael Dorn had mentioned it or someone had said Michael Dorn had mentioned it, that there was rumored to be a Worf series coming out just about Worf being a I, captain. I watched the hell out of that, right? but I also would have watched the hell out of Sulu on the yeah. Excelsior. Wouldn't you? I think and, that's and, great. And I know with 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 that we probably would have lost that on Deep Space Nine. But Nathan, I think you texted the other night that yes! like, oh, it's got one of my favorite lines. Like, but but sir, if we go any faster, we'll fly apart. The then fly apart. He's he's feeling that emotion of his friend in fucking trouble and the end of the fucking world. You know, like yes. talking about the end of the world. So he's like, no, I don't care if we die. Like we're going. 
you know, this is Gandalf going like, oh, like, you know, this ain't the end. I don't know what you're talking Like, go, go, go. For Frodo. Like, <laughs> Good. <laughs> Sir, are we going to report this to uh, High Command? <laughs> what, are you kidding? <laughs> Where are you? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Shields! Shields! We'll give them something else to fire at. <laughs> ah, it's so great. And they had some great special effects with Chang's ship firing on mm. uh, not only the Enterprise, but the, on the, Excelsior. the Excelsior as well. And there's one in particular where he they sort of fire down on top of the Enterprise dish and it like it almost skips off the top. Like it, it's it's great special effects. It's not the the sort of like the submarine battle from Khan, but it's still pretty fucking good. And and then you get the wonderful scene where oh we've got all this equipment for cataloging gaseous anomalies. And then, you know, the Vulcan uh and Kirk and McCoy are not sorry, um Spock and McCoy always had a little bit of friction. Yeah. That, uh, you know, doctor, would you like to uh, help me perform surgery on a torpedo? <laughs> and, and McCoy's like, fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> we got a heartbeat. <laughs> or when they meet the the uh, the uh, the Vulcan conspirator on the ship for the first time, it's all like, oh, she graduated top of her class. Oh, you must be very proud. No, she's a Vulcan, all right. <laughs> or, or afterwards, like, oh, after... Spock interrogates Kim Cattrall's character, which is also an awesome scene. Oh, the mind meld. And the mind meld. And then I also love when she goes into the uh, sick bay. She was lured there from the announcements for the court reporter. And they have the whole, like, you have to shoot. It is logical. And when he slaps. Oh, he's, so, he's angry. When he slaps the uh, phaser out of her hand, I'm just like, oh, my Daddy's nipples get hard. I'm like, oh. yeah, yeah, get her. <laughs> The, uh, but uh, but hold on, they, the, there's a comment made like, oh, well, you know, if we don't do it, they'll be dead after the interrogation. And Spock just sort of nonchalantly is walking back up towards the captain's chair going, I've been dead before. <laughs> like a badass. <laughs> yeah. Like oh. a badass. I, I love another acknowledgement to uh, George, De- George Takai's character of Sulu, where it was originally written that it was actually Sulu who devised the meaning and the how to target the exhaust from the bird of prey, and they were going to blow it out of the water. But he argued to the director to say, no, Kirk would not need help with this. He would actually be the one to figure it out. We're not, I'm not doing this. Kirk's going to be the one target to Target that explosion and fire. I love that. Target that explosion and fire. That's I good, love that was a good Sulu. I like that. That was good. <laughs> that was a good, that was a good Sulu. <laughs> and, and that is a, a great explosion of that uh, Klingon Warbird. I oh, but uh, so so Kirk, good Enterprise. Anyway, uh, very good. Should we do segments, Joe? Segments. 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 Oh, that was garbage. Yeah, we'll make it work somehow. <laughs> We'll make it work someday. We'll get better. <laughs> All right. Segment number one. We have volunteered to rendezvous with the Klingon vessel, which is bringing Chancellor Gorkon to Earth, and to escort him safely through Federation space. Me? Well, there are Klingons who feel the same way about the peace treaty as yourself and Admiral Cartwright. But they'll think twice about attacking the Enterprise under your command. I have personally vouched for you in this matter, Captain. You have personally vouched. Did you ever get dragged into something by a close friend? Perhaps a spontaneous road trip or unexpected occasion? Walk us through the situation. Did it end well? 
would you do it again? <laughs> I'll I'll take this one. So uh, when I was younger in my high school days, uh, I had a I had a good friend of mine, Paul. Paul uh, got us into quite a few shenanigans where. Uh, it's it, this is two separate instances. However, they happened in the exact same week. One instance where we were all hanging out and we snuck into uh, a school and we were just like hanging out, playing on the jungle gym, whatever. We were just having a good time. Well, the police were called. And so we all had to like run, hop the fence and just hightail it like hell to get out of there while being chased by the cops. And so we somehow got back to his house without, you know, them actually seeing which house we went into. And we just kind of like laid low and hid in his backyard even when they came to the door. You know, no one would answer. In the same week, I'm driving him around. We're all hanging out and we're going down his street. And he said, oh, hey, you need to stop uh, over here. I need to get something from this guy's house. And I'm like, okay. So he grabs a bag and he's like, oh, I'm just going to drop this off and I'm going to get something from him. Maybe a minute later, I see something flaming on the front door <laughs> and then there's a and he's like bolting it back to my car and he jumps in he's like go 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 and i'm like what did you do and then i hear boom <laughs> and he's like drive drive he had this horrible relationship with this fire marshal that lived down from his house <laughs> One way to and I'm get. like and and uh, Ryan, I'm like, what? What the fuck? Are Fire Marshal Bell. What are we doing? He's like, drive, drive. Try havoc and let loose the dog. Let's lift the dog. And it was like, we're driving. I'm driving around trying to get away. And he was all like, when am I taking you home? And he's all like, yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to come stay at your place for a while. <laughs> my my story okay. actually involves a firework as well. Um, <laughs> multiple. So in our small town, um, the biggest building that we have is our church. And uh, so there's a three-story building, a gymnasium, and what we call the old sanctuary. And we often would do things like, uh, like lock-ins where like a bunch of the kids would like stay the night, um, or like we do like a, a fast and, you know, like youth events, all kinds of stuff. And so one time we were staying there and my brother was um, a part of this uh, shenanigan and a group of the kids had brought uh, fireworks and were lighting them off in the parking lot. These were illegal fireworks. Uh, Kern Valley is known for having very dry, you know, it's not, it's not Florida. It's a tinderbox. Yeah, it's a tinderbox. So police... Stuff like that. They do. They take that kind of stuff very, very, very seriously. And while they're letting off these fireworks, um, I remember coming out of the gymnasium and someone running up around one of the corners saying, "Police scramble!" <laughs> and everyone starts running around. And there's two cop cars. One comes up through the bushes into the parking lot. The other one is driving the, like, looping the street. And I climb up onto the roof and I pull up one of my buddies, Alex. So we are on top of the old sanctuary, bird's eye view of the whole event. There's a cop car that just, like, pulls up, grabs Scott Ferris, throws him in the back seat, and we're like, oh my god, they just got Scott! Like, what do we do? We were freaking out, and our pa- like our youth pastor comes out. And he's like, "What is going on?" And the cops start talking to him, and all the kids are like, "We 
we weren't doing we weren't doing anything. These were poppers, and Tom, God bless his heart, <laughs> you gonna arrest us for whippersnappers? <laughs> Tom is like officers. These are my youth leaders. Like they wouldn't lie to me. Like there's got to be some confusion. And later on, they well, told him they're like Tom, we lied to you. He's like, my life is a police. It's okay. But still, it was that moment of like, what have I gotten myself into being police just? Coming out of the woodworks, kids running around getting grabbed by officers because are we going to jail? I don't know, but it was intense. <laughs> did did your Scott Ferris have a brother? He did. Was his brother's name Stephen? Ryan. Okay. That's kind of funny because I know a Scott oh. Ferris as well. Ferris. <laughs> I mean I <laughs> and when you mentioned your brother at the beginning of the story, uh, my first instinct was to go, uh, don't do it, Danny. You're a young man. <laughs> From uh, oh, Saving Private Ryan. Like, yeah. like, Danny O'Shea? <laughs> I no. said this church. Uh, so mine... Uh, so my my uh, and I, I've mentioned before my first first real job was a uh, a, a carry out basically a bitch boy at an Ace Hardware in my hometown, and I got hired on when I was a sophomore. And most of the other guys that were in that age group, besides the old timers, were seniors. And it was one of those situations where you really sort of like looked up to those guys like, yeah, the seniors, yeah, those, those cool guys. Oh, look at their cars, blah, 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 blah. And um, I had worked a uh, shift. It was uh, eight to two on a Saturday uh, with most of those guys or at least a handful of them. And they were going down to Cincinnati, which is about an hour away to see Roger Waters. I didn't know who Roger Waters was. Uh, I, my, my classic rock, uh, delving had gotten about as far as Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. And, uh, they said that, uh, one of the guys had bailed they had an extra ticket come with us. So, we drove down there. Roger Waters is the bass player for Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. And there was the split between him and David Gilmore in like the late 70s or early 80s where Roger Waters was basically toured around doing Pink Floyd shows. And my first experience, I got to see Roger Waters at Riverbend uh, Stadium in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. But driving down there and like getting handed like my first joint, like <laughs> oh there, there you go and like there's like a cooler full of beer. So like it was one of those instances when the music started and Roger Waters played the entire Pink Floyd The Wall album. It just like you're a young man, you're not used to any of these substances, but those substances combined with what you are seeing happening in front of your face right now, you're like gobsmacked. It was almost a religious experience. Like, go. You know, it was, and I and I will never forget it. But it was just one of those one of those things that, like, I got home from work, had a snack, and my mom's like, "Well." we were going to go to your grandparents for dinner. I was like, well, I got invited to a, to a concert. I'm going to go do that. I'll be back by maybe midnight or so. And my mom was always pretty cool. She's like, yeah, okay. And that's how it went. So that, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. Uh, the next, uh, segment is 
the Enterprise hosted Chancellor Gorkin and company to dinner last night. Our manners weren't exactly Emily Post. A note to the galley, Romulan ale no longer to be served at diplomatic functions. Romulan ale has a reputation of being a deceptively potent drink. Tell me about a time that you overdid it on a certain type of drink. Perhaps even today, uh, years or decades later, the thought of having one of these drinks still makes you feel slightly queasy. Bonus answer, same question, but for a certain food or dessert. All right, so... Tequila and I do not, we're not <laughs> friends really anymore. I, I have visited Tequila, I have hung out with Tequila, we don't get along, and I used to black out on Tequila, Ooh. and I remember, oh yeah, Ooh. I, rem- I remember waking up one time at Ryan Atchison's house after, I remember 10 shots of Tequila, and I was drinking Orange Crush. With oh, it. oh Jesus Christ! It was rough. But I remember coming to, and I was puking by the creek by his house, and then I remember standing up saying "puke and rally." <laughs> I don't remember after that until until I was literally asleep, and this was the first instance where I was like, "No more, I'm done." With tequila, I can't get this drunk anymore. I woke up and I was I was puking. Everyone, we were all in the living room. I was laying on this blanket and I was puking and I had no bodily control. And the way I was laying, like whoever, God freaking bless them because I would have died. Because I, it's one of those like horror stories of like, oh yeah, like you're choking your own vomit. I had no. I couldn't move. Cause of death? Tequila. Tequila. (laughs) And so I was like, you know what? Tequila's done for me. Also, I had a really bad experience with kimchi. Uh, That is my... (laughs) Kimchi of all things. I want to hear this. I do kimchi. So we ordered a bunch of food from this Korean barbecue restaurant, and somebody told me that it was something else, and I forget exactly, like, wide but like i just took a big spoonful of it and was just like <laughs> powering it down it's like this like this is like stir fry or something <laughs> and my stomach hurt so bad like it just reacted Ooh. so poorly with me i was like oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was so Zoltan or Zolberg. Yeah. <laughs> free range <Yeah>. skunk <laughs> You're one of those people that got duped to thinking like, oh, is this, what is this, guacamole? Yeah, guacamole at the sushi joint. Yeah, yeah you should really have up, a big yeah. spoonful of guacamole. <laughs> it was not fun. So mine um, is schnapps. Rumble mints. Peppermint schnapps. You can't, what? Some good shit. Yeah. So we had, we had by, uh, by high school friends that I, I'm still and will be groomsmen at the the upcoming uh reception redo of the wedding that was uh coveted uh last fall uh we had planned to go camping the friday and saturday after thanksgiving like our freshman year in college because we're all in town and we're like fuck it let's do it but it was cold as fuck and it was also snowing 
So when we went to the liquor store, I was like, I'll get rumble mints because, you know, it's supposed to like, it's supposed to warm the bones. And so I drank straight rumble mint schnapps for quite a while. And the feeling of vom not not like gush vomiting not like blah but sort of like this gurgly like drizzle of rumplements just coming back up into the snow near our campsite i will never forget so uh schnapps and i are not friends even uh uh jägermeister is is almost too close but like a candy cane which has a similar flavor you will never ever ever see me just like christmas day just like having a candy cane no pepper peppermint itself like not my friend as far as the the food and it was it was a little bit of uh several factors going on but i was i think nine or ten and it had been like the day or two after halloween and i was sort of secretly gorging on candy and then my mom had made, and she had never made this before, she made chicken Alfredo. Like a chicken Alfredo pasta. And like, I was used to the red sauce, and so like, I'm eating this, I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Stuffed my face with it. That night, woke up, urged to puke, take off from the bunk bed, running in the dark through the house to the upstairs bathroom. My sister had closed the bathroom door. <laughs> So I run full speed into the closed bathroom door, almost knocking myself out. But the impact made me projectile vomit all over the door and all over myself. A mixture of Halloween candy and chicken Alfredo pasta. So it wasn't until my 30s that I actually tried real chicken Alfredo or an Alfredo sauce again. But for a good 20 years, I was like, Alfredo, (laughs) no, thank you. No, no. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, man. All right. Um, It's not necessarily a a drink, but much like Nathan, um, I don't I don't really do well with vodka anymore. Vodka honestly used to be like my go to because it's. It's just like a universal mixer. It it just it mixes well with so many things and it you can make so many drinks with it. And that used to just be my my little thing at parties like, oh, cool. You got vodka. Awesome. Vodka. Here's some punch, some orange juice, a little something else. Whatever. You're going to be good to go. Like vodka, vodka. Oh, my mind. gosh. <laughs> we were waiting for you. <laughs> right. It's Soviet Russian. Vodka forks you. Vodka forks you. Now, this is back in 2009. 2009, I went to a little shindig with, at, at the time, the, uh, this girl that I had just started dating. And th- her friend decided to not allow me to make my own drink that night because it was getting close to my birthday. So she's like, I'm going to make oh, you. she was making it for you? I'm oh, gonna, that's, that's a trust oh, issue. that's the trust that's issue. That's the trust that's issue. That's the trust issue. She was like, oh, no, no, no. We're going to make you a birthday drink. Her idea of making making a birthday drink and mixing it is taking off the safety cap of the vodka bottle and then pouring it. This is her pour. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, cinco, seis. And then she stopped. Like that. I, I don't even know if I would call it a safety cap. I'd call it a speed governor. Oh, right? <laughs> Jesus. So all that, that amount of time of pouring was the amount of vodka that she put in. And then she mixed it with other like fruit drink or whatever and just mixing it. Whatever. I mean, I, I, I drank it. I drank it all. And just like Nathan... I am missing 
moments of those of that evening. I, I, I blacked out. I blacked out for parts of it. I remember different things. I was told time traveling. Oh, my God. It was, it was so much time traveling. I was told various things that I did. And like this was a moment where I guess like if I were to get like inebriated or intoxicated, my friends would be all like, Drew, say something smart. Well, going, say something smart because you can still sound smart. Say something smart. So I guess it was it was a <laughs> It was a game. I guess it was a game for me. But it was getting up the next morning. There's an old Vulcan saying, (laughs) only Nixon could go to China. (laughs) Oh, Drew, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. It was it was going the next morning, being completely hungover to the first like gathering of her family and then meeting everybody. I met her grandparents for the first time there. And the grandfather like met me, shook my hand, and then he stopped and he ha- still had my hand and he pulled me in and he just looked at me and he was just Gave all like... Gave you a sniff? No, he, he looked at me and he was all like, were you inebriated? And I was all like, yes, sir. <laughs> and, he, and he stopped and he, un- he like let go of my hand and he looked over at her parents and he's all like, I like him. He's honest. <laughs> but... So like I don't I try I tend to not do vodka anymore, not if I can actually help it or if at least I know that I'm going to make a drink where I know exactly what's in it. Uh, as for food, I don't know if I consumed too many of them when I was a kid and it and it now and it made me ill, but I cannot stand creamsicles and I cannot Whoa. stand cream soda. I would rather rolling glass than you know, consume any of that. I it makes me completely nauseous. I I don't like cream soda. I don't like you know the creamsicle aspect of it. No, anything that is of that no makes me very very nauseous. Mm. All right, all right. Uh, so the third and final segment is. Would you mind explaining that little trick you do? Iman plays a cameloid, a rare shape-shifting species. Feigning escape, she is revealed to be the means of Kirk and McCoy's demise. You are now a cameloid. Tell me about a few forms you might assume from time to time. Can be anything from fiction, legend, lore, or real life. I'll go first. So if I was uh, strutting around town... You know, wearing my Sunday's best. I'd be uh, like night, like circa like nineteen seventy eight Harrison Ford. Oh, like the 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 pictures from back then. Like that. That's a good looking man. I definitely would go for that. If I needed to intimidate somebody, Andre the Giant. <laughs> definitely morph up into that. Or if I had, if I felt like I had to get like real loquacious and bombastic, Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> The cream rises to the top. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, if I need to get in an argument with another adult, it'd either be uh, James Mason, Cary Grant, or even Peter O'Toole. Like, for different situations, James Mason, eloquent argument. Cary Grant, thoughtful, composed. Or Peter O'Toole, I'm just going to fucking yell at you like a drunkard. <laughs> uh, and then then my 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 last one is uh if I have to sit down one of the boys and have a heart to heart Emperor Palpatine. Good. Good. Definitely Good. Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Let the anger. Uh, your faith in your friends is yours. <laughs> I just imagine Caleb looking like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> or, or they're looking they're looking at the object that they took that was ours that that's like mine like 
for instance, the our youngest, I found my Star Wars umbrella that, that the the handle of it is a lightsaber, mm-hmm. uh, zip tied to his bike. And uh, I just like, we're going to have a conversation about it, yeah. but I'm going to have it in my lap. And it's like, you want this, don't you? Take it. Strike me down. Anna's, I'm an Anna's there with a spatula. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> and oh. yeah, Jenny tots that dick the- side will be complete. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Oh, man. But the swing set I'm building, you will be quite operational. Yeah. When your when friends, friends arrive. arrive. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, for every day, uh, I will probably be just uh, Jason Momoa. And just, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm just going right. to be, I'm just, sorry, that's just who I'll be. Um, I think that Brooke will greatly appreciate that. Um, for when I really want to, like, just, <laughs> when I really want to freak people out, like, wait, what the fuck did, that, did I just see? I want to be Avatar. I want to just walk down <laughs> blue. The tail of swishing. Tail yeah. swishing everywhere. What a, what a, <laughs> like, just. Running, like, this is awesome. Yeah, that's that's me. Um, during Christmas time, I would be uh, the Grinch, like Jim Carrey, full on, just so I could just be fun and wild, and yet still uh, is, is this, have an excuse. Is this like a kink of Brooks? Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all know the Brooks' favorite Christmas movie <laughs> is the Grinch. Grinch. It's rubbing off of him. I bet. I bet it, I bet like, it is. Hey, as much as I have. Shit. Oh, oh, hell. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Um. So then the last little ones I would do. Um. Like I would do little cameos for people. Uh. So like for like my grumpy Jerry Rice, just for just to pop in and visit her. She loves Jerry Rice and the 49ers. and I think that before she goes, that would be a really cool like. I brought you my game jersey. <laughs> I'm sure J- she tweets Jerry Rice. It was so nice to meet you. He's like, who the fuck is this? For Dax, <laughs> I would be Bingo or Rolly from Puppy Dog Pals. For Ethan, I'd be Blaze in the Monster nice. Machine or Thomas. And for, for Brooke, I would just be Lisa Vanderpump for a little bit, just because I think that she would lose her fucking mind. So, well, yeah. <laughs> I want to see a uh, anthropomorphic Nathan as Tomic the Tank or Thomas the the uh, the train. I, and I would I would, I would say some that. bad shit as Thomas the Tank. I, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for you to go to bed now. <laughs> what about you, Drew? <laughs> oh man, Drew. All right. If, if I'm if I'm gonna go out and about and just. Have fun, okay? I want to have fun. I want to entertain people. Have people smile at me with really anything that I can do. Quite honestly, I'm going to go out and about as Jack Black. Because if I'm going to be zany and kind of goofy, I think him just out and about normally, it's going to be widely accepted and probably some damn damn entertaining. If I need to get into a one-on-one debate with someone and have his tone and his mannerisms at the ready. John C. McGinley as as Dr. Cox from Scrubs, because I just want to get in the guy's face and just be like, really, Nancy? Okay, let's listen here. (laughs) Me. I like it. All about me. (laughs) If I need to be intimidating for someone, I don't know if anyone is familiar with it, but uh, I think I would choose Roadhog from Overwatch. 
He's like this giant, like uh, gas, I am familiar. gas mask faced uh, character, because I think that would just be super intimidating for a fight. And if I need to sit down and have a great game of D&D with my friends, uh, it's going to be Ian McKellen in all Gandalf, you know, makeup and outfits and just sit down and just look at everyone's and like, no, nice are no more use here. <laughs> I rolled a 14. Did I pass the check? Not much hope. Not much hope. Just a fool's hope. <laughs> Fool of a took. <laughs> so yeah, those are those are mine. Very, very good, very good. I, I like that the first two were very like teacherish because one, I just <laughs> as soon as the deck black, I was thinking of you going to school. Math is a wonderful thing. So get off your ass. Let's do some math. Math, math. Yeah. Let's bring. Let's bring like, song oh, so and you're, everything. You're just yourself. Cool. Cool, dude. <laughs> Prepositions are our friends. Hell yeah. So, uh, what would you guys rate this movie? Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country gets three out of three torpedoes to the bird of prey. All right. Star Trek uh, Undiscovered Country was the outfit that they wore, uh, the, uh, the boots and uh, the spacesuit. We would have the, we would find the entire outfit except for one of the boots. Uh, so I would give it a, a three out of four. <laughs> no if the shoe it's fits, great film, wear it. We're missing a boot, I think, so. Uh, I, I'm going to be uh, uh, Scotty in this, uh, and 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 if anyone's like, "Well, I've got issues with this," and and my response is going to be like, "No, sir, we're fully alarmed and loaded, visually accounted for." I give it a full proton torpedo compliment out of a full proton torpedo compliment, visually inspected. I have seen this movie in 2021, 2021 alone five times and that's wow. that's not counting the two watchers like if shut the fuck up jack do you just watch this like it's like, it's all right it's what do i go to and, and, and i hate movie and decision i would rather pick something that i'm comfortable with than spending like if i'm spending more than 20 or 25 minutes just trying to find something to watch and some bourbon is involved. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm watching Undiscovered Country. Let them die. I'm, I'm with you, Jack. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, our Patreon pick. Oh. Uh, so this this is for... It's a little bit lower than the last one, I think. This is for $3 million for property and the technology for... Uh, what we like to call the Kobayashi Maru, uh, where we will build a facility, and uh, in that facility, uh, it will sort of be akin to laser tag, but instead of laser tag, it's a fully fleshed out bridge from the Enterprise, where you and your friends can take turns playing the captain, the tactical officer, the science officer, the communications officer, and go about in, in like an animatronic where like the floor is moving and, and mm. smoke is blowing out, going through simulations fighting on in the Star Trek universe. Now, this could take off with our profits. We could build other sets 
and have Klingons and Romulans, and then you could bring all your buddies in instead of playing paintball. Just you go hammer and tongs in the Star Trek galaxy. Who's got the best crew? I think that would be so much fun to, all right, who's who's captain right now? It's Jack. Oh, he's pretty aggressive. But Drew's the <laughs> science officer, and he's got that shield on lockdown. And Nathan is our tactical officer, and he's just Johnny on the spot with the phasers and the goddamn photon torpedo spreads. He's a magician with it. I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my god! Doesn't it feel like a lot of fuck? I spent an entire Friday or Saturday night just just taking turns, fucking playing different roles, uh, and, right? and going through it, uh, different scenarios. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So just just five million. I like it. Yeah. Drew, where can Makes people me- find us on the interwebs? Well, everyone can always find us up on Facebook. Just search for the Real Feels Podcast. You can also find us up on Twitter at Real Feels Pod. You can also look up on our Instagram, which now I do occasionally update. And you can always send us an email at realfeelspodcast at gmail.com. And really, guys, obviously, if you're listening to the episode, you can find us at any podcatcher out there. But if your friends don't know, just tell them Google the Real Feels Podcast, and they'll find us out there. Anything else? Uh, I, th- I feel like we've run over. We can sure. probably save what have we been watching for uh, another day. We can save what we've been watching. But, you know, guys, we would love for you to uh, give us some love, some uh, five-star reviews over on Apple iTunes, the uh, podcast app. And, uh, guys, the, the more reviews we get, the higher in the rankings we get, the more people are going to see us in those lists for podcast recommendations. But also, if... Leaving a review is not your style. You can call up the Tooch line. Leave us a nice Tooch line voicemail. 661-376-0030. We would love to hear from you. Don't wait for the don't wait for the answer me now. Don't wait for the voice translation. Don't wait for the beep. Answer me now. All right. Well, folks, thanks for kicking off our sort of flagship episode we did do our anniversary episode for tremors uh and we did do our little giants episode for our patreon and we we thank the patreon for being a wonderful patreon but this was our first grab baggins episode of the fellowship of the fields and this is one of the uh the movies that has the deepest feels for me so thanks for joining us and this has been the realist and the feelers to be or not to be Right, have it. Let the dogs of war. Dach, bach, dach, bech. Kapla. It is the judgment of this court that without the possibility of reprieve or...